three, two. All right, and so I'm going to back up out of that. So welcome everyone, welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Didi Delgado. I'm your hostess with the Mostex. And I am here with my esteemed colleague, none other than Alan Quabuena. How are you? Good, 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 good. You almost got Quabina. Quabina. The whole time. Since 2014, yeah. I've been calling you for ah. that. <laughs> and no one has corrected me. No one is like, nah, uh -huh. Sib, that's not it. Uh, so that's not it. Cause these people don't it's anti-black what I just did. It's anti-black. Oh. We'll talk about it. <laughs> stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Stop it. This all all love around. But yeah, no. Quabana Quabana. is born on Tuesday. You know, they have all the names. Kofi, Kwame. What is Sunday? Quabana. Born on a Sunday again? Is it Kwame? Look, no. it probably is. Somebody need to it's correct not. me. Somebody, somebody, somebody do the fact check. See, yeah, I, we need we need it going across the street. Give, give, yeah, somebody needs to just put it right across the street. Like here are all the names. I know my day. My day right. is Tuesday. <laughs> That's all that matters sometimes. That's all that matters sometimes. <laughs> okay, so I'm here with Alan Quabana. And y'all don't know Alan like I know Alan, and I even want to get to know Alan more. So we this is episode number 69 of the full set. It's inappropriate, but we're gonna make we're gonna sit with it. We're gonna do all the things. I'm fucking, I love it. So I'm reading your whole bio. My team was nervous about your bio. Um, I have to acknowledge that the people who are helping me by large are white. And they were like, it's like four paragraphs. I was like, we gonna list the accomplishments and we gonna get through it together. We gonna hold hands um, because I think that is really important. I don't think that people either spend the time on their biographies and then like rush through it and they leave out things. I'm still finding out things about myself. Oh shit, I did that. I did that five years ago. Um, so I'm gonna read your bio. I'm gonna ask you to sit very uncomfortably through it or like, you know, give me some hand motions, do a BOGO every now and then. I don't know, whatever you wanna <laughs> do. Um, so Alan is a cultural strategist, a serial cooperative entrepreneur, whatever the fuck that means, a resource mobilizer, an artist who organizes through social movements for a just transition in philanthropy towards a solidarity economy. Can you put a bookmark in that? Because I want to know what that sentence means. I feel like I know what it means because I'm moving money, but we don't talk. Alan is also a co-founder and managing partner of Ad Astra Collective. Through this consulting cooperative, he is a co-host of the Old Money New System Community of Practice that supports resource mobilization initiatives that strengthen social movement ecosystems to be relational, center community healing, and redistribution of wealth -ching, through learning and innovation. Alan is also a co-founder of Zeal, a Black art studio cooperative. He holds an interdisciplinary, is that is that what you was doing that? <laughs> he holds an interdisciplinary practice rooted in the black radical tradition through community organizing, cultural strategy, transformative leadership coaching, resource mobilization, and participatory planning within complex systems. Alan's body of work as a harm reductionist has been providing capacity building in philanthropy within the public health sector and drug policy field internationally with organizations such as Justice Funders, the Harm Reduction Coalition, Community Foundation of New Jersey, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Movement Net Lab, which is how I know you, and the START Network in the UK. Alan has also mobilized resources for the National Ride to Ferguson that led to the formation of the Black Lives Matter National network, along with other local responses to state-sanctioned violence nationally. 
Allen is a current board member of one of the oldest public foundations for social movements in America, Resist. Can I get some fucking money? Allen is also an activist advisory member of the Solidaire Network's Movement Research and Development Fund, as well as a Giving Circle member of Drive Africa. Whoa. His body of work and contributions have been featured on NPR, WNYC, the Stanford Social Innovation Review, you went to Stanford, Chronicle of Philanthropy, Inside Philanthropy, and the New York Times. Alan Kwabena, Kwabena Frimpong received his master's degree in urban planning and affairs at CUNY, did I say that right? I'm from the Bronx, don't play with me, CUNY, Hunter College. You went to the same college Cardi B did. He also has attended the Center for Popular Economics Summer Institute at Amherst College and has received his graduate certification at Cornell University. I want to say that this says in real life school and labor leadership school. Okay. He is a current fellow with the Bridging Studio in New York City and a graduate candidate with the UPenn School of Social Policy, Arts and Cultural Strategy Executive Program. If y'all know what I know, y'all better link these payment links, uh, paypal at press.zeal at gmail.com. And you can follow Alan on IG and Twitter. Y'all better get familiar. Can we give Alan a round of applause for those of you watching at home? Thank you for giving yourself your own applause, Alan. <laughs> Please clap. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm I'm keeping up. I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses with all that's going on. But um, which Joneses? Hmm, that's a good question. You know, not all Joneses is good Joneses. Not all good Joneses is good Joneses. <laughs> <laughs> but at least I, I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to keep the money flow cooperatively in check with 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 at least my community of peoples, and so. Uh, that's that's a good thing, and then immediately just with family, you know, I got my dad upstairs with my. Have sister. you been traveling? No, I only let's see, like I was with my homegirl Nikisha real quick, and we were the only the only place I did go to was New Orleans, but after that, I've been pretty much shelter in place since March. Wow, I'm really proud of you because I know that last year you were shitting on all of us with all these like photos. You went to Ghana, you went to a couple other different places. You were just colorful in your in your prints and stuff like that. And I said, okay, Alan, all right. Not everybody <laughs> has the opportunity to use their passport, Alan, place a privilege as Alan. All right, cool. But nah, you've been to some amazing places. What does it feel like to be a world traveler or starting to be one? Uh. You know, I, I I feel like when I started traveling, it's like I realized that's when I oh like oh I I actually love to travel like mm -hmm. I love to go to other places in the world and experience the culture there, the people, get to know people, and I'm usually like the person who's like let's go straight to where the black people are. I don't care right. if I'm going to London. I'm like let's go to Brixton real quick. Right. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. Like even even this recent trip to Ghana during the year of return, like. You know, I was in Jamestown and on my mom's side, like that's pretty much like, you know, the hood. That's like, like the neighborhood, that's the hood in, in, in Accra. And there's a lot of history there. And, you know, we was there at night and it was just like lit. Just like- Is that how you pronounce it, Accra? Accra, yeah. Okay, all right. And so, um, yeah, it's just like, if we were in a black neighborhood, any black neighborhood here in the States, it's like people are outside. You know, uh, whether it's, you know, 
shooting craps or playing cards mm. or, or, or or what we would play, play, you know, known in Europe as Parcheesi, known in Ghana as Ludo. You know, everyone got their version of the same game. But Is um, it spades? Um, Don't talk to me if it ain't spades. <laughs> see? Not quite space, but I'm I sure like to be. Game. I like to be violent. Like you understand, right. it's it's an outlet. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Space is a whole outlet for folks, especially for <laughs> black folks. Like any kind of card games, dominoes. I just feel like black people in games in general. Like, right. So like it's it's like a whole like life like thing, but it's serious. It's no joke, you know. So it's the same thing. What the know? fuck is Parcheesi? Is that like sorry? It's like, what is sorry? I don't know. It's oh, a like, little... Like, oh, the vi- no, it, yeah, it is kind of like sorry. Okay. Like, there's a, all, all these verse, all these names for the same game. You know what I've I mean? Been, like, I've been whitewashed. I'm sorry that I don't yeah, put cheese. I'm like, sorry, what's sorry? Oh, that, oh yeah, that, that, that game. Okay, got it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so shelter in place. And are you in Brooklyn currently? No, I'm in. Everybody thinks I'm in Brooklyn, but I'm in. Jersey because you're a Brooklyn nigga. I mean, what's uh, the problem? I feel like <laughs> I feel like when I came back from Syracuse University, it's funny because like every almost every, every other Saturday, I would be in Brooklyn because a lot of my friends lived in Brooklyn, and then also right. I was a part of you know the Malcolm X grassroots movement as an activist member, and their offices used to be over at you know 3D Atlantic Ave. So I was always in Brooklyn, and then people that I lived in Brooklyn and I was like, nah, I'm from Jersey. I'm from Jersey. I'm from I'm from Newark. <laughs> and can uh, I just insert a Joe Budden's lyric here? Yes. Because yes, Joe Budden is my favorite problematic rapper. So he said, <laughs> I'm just an he said, I'm just a New York nooker from Jersey. Right? Like because yeah. you remind me of a New York nigga. All right. right. I'm gonna stop judging you because you're not from Brooklyn, you're from Jersey. Yeah, Jersey gets a bad. I feel like we get a bad rap. I used to. It smells. Of course, like, it gets a bad rap. Like who? Whoever named that? The armpit state of like the. Whole it smells nation. like I was gonna say it smells like ass, but if you're saying they call it the armpit state, every time I th- drive through Jersey, I have to have my windows up. It's there's a distinct. I'm not Jersey shaming, but there is a distinct. <laughs> sm- <laughs> We're not there's a distinct smell. But you know, I blame Staten Island for this. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm gonna do on today's. This nigga said I blame podcast. the Italians. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not I promise you. It's not, it's not Newark proper. It's not, you know, Patterson or wherever I'm at in Jersey City. I promise you we don't have no incinerator here. Okay. It's Staten. We're gonna blame on them. We gonna blame on Bayonne. That's bad because that would do sound like I'm blaming the Italians. But you know, <laughs> he was I like, I, "Let's start off with." I'm not, that. I'm not gonna respond. I'm not gonna respond to this. <laughs> so your shelter, your shelter in place somewhere in New Jersey. Yeah. Somewhere <laughs> in the garden or the armpit or the asshat state, yeah. and. I just want to know, like, because you, every time I see you, I feel like you're doing work. Like I see you, like a lot of people use the gram to like post up and flex. You'd be like, I'm out here moving this money. Like, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm giving this speech. I'm doing this workshop. Every time I see you, I'd be like, Alan, if Alan do one more workshop, I'm unfriending. I'm unfollowing. Let me see Alan do one more workshop and see what happens. But I just want to know, like, how has COVID 
change the way that you living, right? Because like, I'm not sure if we're even living at this point and working. Yeah, tremendously. Cause you know, um, before it was a lot of travel, you know, we just talked about world traveling and right. it was a lot of traveling, going to different communities and building with people and, you know, facilitating strategy sessions or working with this funder around this. And, and now that I'm here, like everything is on this thing called Zoom and on our laptops and, you know, and now I'm just like, well, shoot, I'm taking a nap. And, <laughs> um, and then when I get up, this is the things that I'm gonna do. And I think in some ways, the, you know, it's funny you mentioned the workshops because the work, the workshops actually came as a conversation with, um, with my good friend, Carmen. And before that, it was like, I'm just gonna like do my projects and stuff like that. And then when George Floyd happened, I got a couple of calls and it was like, oh, what are we doing this, that? And I was just like, uh, I'm in this house taking care of my 73 year old dad, you know? Right, and right. And so it was like, you know what? The best thing I can do is a workshop. <laughs> <laughs> Like this is as much y'all gonna get for me. Don't like no like, call. That Didi Delgado was on or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like people. People doing workshops. People doing online. Okay, well we just gonna do like these workshops. And we did a summer series real quick. And I was like, all right, we'll do another workshop. And then you know, off. I'll, and then I'll be traveling again because I'll be going to I'll be going to Ghana um, at the at the top of the month next okay. month right after okay. the election. But yeah, like, I was like, all right, let me do this workshop here or, you know, let me see what information I can put out to support, you know, local organizers who are responding in every, any way that they're responding um, right now to all of the craziness, as though it's new craziness, you know? It's, it's, it's old shit. It's so old. old. Shit. The, old the only thing is this new people being killed. And I think that's, 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 that's the piece, you know, that is unfortunate and like, you know, so there's that part of it that I'm like, this is whack. So we're in a pandemic, you know. Global uprising. uprising. And then like this fuck shit administration. So like all of that. Thank you for saying fuck shit because people were starting to, well, I was, I'm, I'm people. I was starting <laughs> to think he was like goody two shoes. I'm like, come on, Alan, do better. Um, <laughs> so you think that this administration is just not good for the country? Oh yeah, it's, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this administration, the past administration, the administration before that. That's why I just wanted like, someone to clarify because I just really struggle with democratic conversations and liberals in general that are like, no, we just got to vote blue no matter what. And I'm like, do we have to? Do we have to? <laughs> I'm not sure that we have to. Do you want another four years, Didi? I mean, I've lived this long under all of these administrations. <laughs> <laughs> As much as we've been living and our ancestors have been living, yeah. So Come I, on I, don't, out. I don't know. I think I've been more, I just was like on another call, I've been more fascinated by the amount of money based off of black death that has been pushed out the door. You know, it's just like, oh, wow. So not the last moment black people were shot and murdered, but this moment we feel compelled, you know? Right. And it's hard when people well, you shouldn't judge, like, without judgment, we shouldn't say anything. I'm like, it's kind of hard in my black existence not to judge. <laughs> right. Not to have resentment or not to say, like, so it took this amount of death over 400 years to give this unprecedented amount of money. And I think no amount of money, right? We can say, like, no amount of money. Like, I want None. my 48 
the mule. I want my reparations. I'm like, we're not even talking about like chattel slavery here. We're just talking about like the iterations of like the fuck shit, you know, right. like that have evolved over time that have gotten us to this point where it's like, oh, like this is, this is where the fuckery has amounted to. Like now we feel, and I think that's not a question for like me or you per se. That's a question for the people who feel compelled now, you know, and, and it's not, it shouldn't be from this place like, oh, I feel guilty around it where it's like, yeah, that's a natural response and you need to figure out your stuff around why you're guilty, why you feel guilty right? and why it took this long, you know, and why. So what do you think is the difference long, between you know? 2014 Trayvon, 2000 and, um, 2015 Eric Gardner, 2015, 2016 Sandra Bland, um, Corinne Gaines, right? Then 2017, 2018, then 2019, and now here we are, 2020, George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and still there's that disparity, right? Still, um, someone just sent me Megan Thee Stallion's op-ed in New York Times. I'm so, I wanna read it, don't tell me about it, but I wanna read it because I know, regardless if she had help or not, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what she has to say is important and the demographic she's reaching is extremely important and I have goosebumps. I can't wait to read it. Why do you think, this wasn't even one of the questions they told me to ask you, but they're white people, it's okay. They're gonna have to deal with it. They're gonna have to get these questions. Um, why do you think amongst cisgender, heterosexual black men, straight black men for people who didn't understand that, why do you think the the phrase protect black women is such a struggle. Uh, you know, I've, you know, this is where you get into the oppression Olympics, you know, cause like we all catching it. And it makes me think when I go back to Ghana and they do the, the slave tours and they talk about how they separated the men from the women. Right. In dungeons, you know what I mean? Before they went through the door of no return, you know right. what I mean? And it's like, it's like the things that we believe about like, well, it's like, well, you getting fucked over and I'm getting fucked over. We just getting fucked over in multiple different ways and in the same ways, you know what I mean? And when you're dealing with, obviously, you know, when, when that statement is made by Malcolm X around, you know, the most disrespected you know, person in the world is the black woman. And so when we think about women in our society, and not even to romanticize like women back in Africa and queens and kings. It's just like, you know, the fact that the conditions of what we see here in the United States and then even what I witnessed back home, it's like people, I think for women in particular, and I think for men in particular, there's like, there's no, it's like, there's no protections under colonialism and imperialism. It's like, we all right. catch and tell. And when you see that the way women, it's in particular, like uh, white women, you know, um, are treated, makes me think of that, um, was that, that, I forgot that comedian's name that, that went just viral this week, I think it was on SNL, where it's just like, white women, y'all basically have been the daughters of patriarchy. So like, you've been rolling in the blood money, you know what I mean? Right, <laughs> so right, like, right. we have this conversation about like, masculinity and femininity and the expectations based on social roles of what men and women, how men and women should be operating. I feel like there's this piece around like, well, damn, it's like, 
is there not enough that we have not done? Is there is there stuff that 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 we have not been able to do, and we're catching a bad rap? And usually the statement I hear is, "It's not all of us, right?" So the same, so the same kind of defensive mechanisms that white people have, or any group from my race, for you know, like, right. and it's like, well, it's not all black men, but I'm like. It doesn't like at the end of the day, we we do recognize we are in a patriarchal society that is that is inherently paternalistic, and the way that that shows up culturally and politically have real ramifications around domestic violence. Like you know, I lived in a home uh, uh, where where that was present in my right. life. You know what I mean? When you um, have conditions where we see issues around equal pay even our laws and policies, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like all of those things, if that doesn't tell you something about white supremacy and how women get treated, and then you add the racial hierarchy on top of it, that should say something. And right. and also the ways that we've seen black women also in, in, in how they get subjugated in chattel slavery has a legacy still in the culture of our society today. So it is not to say that, um, yeah, I feel like when that's said, like it, it's almost like when people say Black Lives Matter, and it's like all lives matter. Like it's the same. It's the I always same, do the Dave Chappelle thing. All yeah. lives it's matter. All. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's the same thing when we say protect Black women. It's like what do you mean? What do you mean? What about my life? And I think that's the point I'm trying to make. It's like right. it doesn't discount the fact that we all catching the fuckery in the hell from white supremacy. But what it is meant to say is that. There's a reason why we have to center a black, queer, feminist praxis around those who are impacted by the carceral state. You know what I mean? Like, there's a reason why we gotta say all that because we know at the end of the day, when we talk about those who are most impacted by all these social and political ills, it is those folks who carry that sort of ideology and, and who walk with those multiple identities that will end up catching hell. Because if you don't fit the mold of what it means to live in a white supremacist patriarchal capitalist society the marginalization is like you already you are already out the paint right like, but ah. you don't count if, if you make sure that <laughs> right. straight black men matter then like everyone else will fall in line i'm like no it's actually the other way because when straight black men are okay it doesn't mean that they're going to turn back around and be like well what about the gays <laughs> like, <you know> <laughs> or the queers or the transgender folks and I think also what's underneath that is this assumption that if we aspire to what success looks like under white supremacist patriarchy as black men, then we will be shielded from the hell we're catching, which right. we know is not true. <laughs> so even I feel for, like this is Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin talking again. Like, right. you know, this is dope. Yeah. Like, this is dope. I was like, I was concerned at first. I was like, Alan, where the fuck is you going with this? Why do black yeah. men struggle? Um, but maybe a better question I should have asked is how do you intend on or what ways have you shown up for Black women and non-men? Oh, uh, wow. That's a really good question. Thank you. It this is, is what, what I I'm don't get paid to do is ask there. the good questions. Right. Because <laughs> it seems like that question wasn't on, was on the roster of things, the script of things for me to ask. <laughs> I, I really know. I really do appreciate that question because... What I start to do is I immediately start to think of people in my family, um, such as like my mom, my grandmother, both of my grandmothers who have now been now are deceased. 
Uh, but I think even my sister, like the role that black women have played in my life has been just instrumental. Um, I, I, I would have to shout out my mentor in my woods. Like, Can you say your mentor's name you again? Hear I feel like harm reduction in my bio, you know, like a harm reductionist. Can you say the Imani name again? Woods. So, okay, so thank those you. Who okay. don't know who Imani Woods is. Imani, Imani, Imani Woods. Okay. Oh, it's my, okay, we good. Your internet um, is a little Imani janky. Woods. Imani Woods. Um, ah, I see, I see. It's unstable. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yes. Oh, no. We, I, I, look. I'm not having like the Sprint connection. Yeah. <laughs> Sprint is um, terrible in New Jersey. See, look at that. <laughs> um, but yeah, Imani, Imani Woods is from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, she was someone who uh, worked with people who were impacted by the drug trade and through uh, issues of substance use and abuse and was one of the early folks, uh, black folks who were working on alternative modalities to drug treatment that were hu that were humane and considered uh, the black experience for folks who had to navigate the health system around their drug use and understood the kind of stigma that especially black people in particular black women, gender non-conforming folks, queer folks, just like the least of these had to go through in navigating those systems. And so she taught me a lot okay. about like what it meant to connect with those who aren't from your class background, who, who may not have the same lived experience as you and to just, just be with them around just what life is like for them and ways to not only support but also learn from them and so i feel like i've carried that kind of like ethic in my life in my relationship uh to uh black women and then uh, also as i've evolved in terms of my relationship with gender non-conforming folks as well as trans folks um you know in my life and there's a whole bunch of people that, especially in this time, you mentioned like a whole bunch of dates of times of all of these uh, incidences of state sanctioned violence. There are people right. like Elle Hearns, who has just been like. <laughs> there was a yes from the living room. I don't know if you heard it. It was a yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, or Aaron Lang, or all these people who were at this convergence point through Fer Ferguson and then after. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, the, I mean, the list goes on of people who have entered my life to who I have a lot of gratitude uh, for and who I've really learned from. Uh, and we, I think, influence each other and I've grown, right? And, and how I'm able to define myself so in a way that also addresses the toxicity of some of the learned behaviors that I've adopted over my time that I've been able to then shift and then also still on a continuous journey of shifting. So, um, yeah. So okay. there's like everybody from my immediate family to like people who I've developed relationships with and then people who I've just like watched and seen and how they moved and evolved. So... There was a question from our audience. 
I'm so grateful to fucking have an audience. Okay. There was a question from our audience um, to, to the effect of um, if you were to go outside of Black women you know, right? Like, what is your responsibility when you're discussing with other men or men who identify as cisgender, heterosexual, right? Even if that's not how you identify or that is how you identify, what is a cishet man or a cis, a cis queer man's responsibility to protect black black women and non-men when in conversations with other men yeah i feel like it's a i never asked black men this question so you're so lucky yeah i've I, again i'm telling you like you start i feel like there's these good set of questions that are coming through i feel like it starts in the relationships again that you have with other men uh if that's how you identify. And I find that if you're not in that circle with other men, perhaps the question is why? Mm. And- um, uh, Cause that's where the me, not all men comes from. It's like, well, right. I don't hang with people like that. I don't hang, I don't I don't hang with those and, people. I'm not yeah, like, like that. And so I don't, and it's the same thing that, you know, we have to see the pattern, right? It's the same thing white folks do. And it's like, well, I don't hang with those family those kind members. of racist. Cause I'm not like that. And so I feel right. comfortable. Which, like, I get, like, in terms of social relations, like, you hang with the, you know, birds of a feather flock together. And at some point, there is something to be said about the responsibility we all have based on our social location. You know, have those conversations. So I feel like with the, with the friends that, that I do have, um, when we're able to engage in those conversations, you know, they're fruitful in that I recognize also I have to be, like, aware of it for myself that, probably many of the men who are in my life are actively having these conversations. It just mm. happens to be. But when I am in public spaces, what I do find is that then it serves as a disruption or an interruption, or there is a space where that's being had. But I also recognize that's just because, again, of the work that, that I was doing when I was you know, with Malcolm X grassroots movement, where like, right. It was just a woman that we that they had the you know new african women's caucus and then you know for the times that i was able to attend very few but like there was the men's caucus but even outside of that there was work that i that i was able to do um outside of that with other men so i feel like in public spaces where there is something going on and there are opportunities to be able to engage in conversations i feel comfortable doing so now but I also want to acknowledge that that's not everybody's come from. But I think that I just that want to say be, thank you. I mean, you know, not that I should have to say thank you, but like you're the only black man that's been on the show, and it's been like I can count on my hand black men that's been on the show, um, and that's for reasons. But you're the only black man that I've ever felt comfortable asking that question to, not because the other black men haven't been great, but it's just like for some reason I think that we're at a at a at a point in the quantumness of what is exacting right now, where we can extract this kind of information and say, here's the pressure point, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, and so I appreciate you sitting with the comfortability, uncomfortability and being like, I don't speak for all men, but I don't have to say that because I am my own person. Shirk <laughs> like, <laughs> responsibility and I wish more men would do that, you know? You know, and it's not like I'm actively like, let me go search for the relationship for the black men who don't get it, right? It's just like, 
if I'm in public space and something happens to be said that's out of turn, like, you know, just the question, like, what does that mean? Like, hey, what's going on? Like, can we talk about this? And then there's some moments where it's just like, things may be going down. It's just like, you know, situations of domestic violence where it's like, let's call to attention a whole bunch of people here because right. uh, so that this person actually is aware that like, whatever they're thinking they're getting ready to do, like they're a whole bunch of eyes on you. Right. And I think that's the way to flip the cop watch work. And I think that's the connection, you know, and I'm going to shout out, uh, rest in peace to Janisha Gabriel. Cause I remember when she, she, she really gave this language loud and clear when, uh, you know, we were both in BLM NYC together, but the connection between the state sanctioned violence and the intracommunal violence that we see, like the right. same patterning of how the police abuse, abuse us is rooted in the same kind of paternalism and entitlement that then we as men take up, right? And so when we talk about the hyper violence and all that stuff, like so much so that like you're willing to beat this person you say you love in public. Right. Like in public, you know what I'm saying? And I'm saying that like, and that, and that is inherently race conversation when we're talking about white supremacy. Right. Like, okay. I'm using that word intentionally because I think what tends to happen is that gets internalized. Like, oh, well, that's a black issue. Like, no, that ain't no motherfucking black issue. Like this is just rooted in trauma and violence across, across all races. And we need to find the root of where that violence actually comes from. And why and the root of that, I appreciate that because the root of, of trauma and violence is white supremacy. I don't know where they got on their gumption that they were going to develop this, but the world really hasn't been the same since. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, on, on that note. <laughs> so tell me, because I have, I have a love affair with I've also I've had many love affairs with many artists, but I want to know about your art and why, like, was it COVID that made you decide I'm going to start Zeal or had this been something that you'd already had? What the fuck is a Zeal? Is it like a zest? What is it? What What is it? So Zeal is, um, it's like a two and a half year conception that's been ongoing and it is a black arts cooperative. So we uh, run a studio. We currently have a studio in Inglewood, California, uh, where we have two artists doing work, amazing artists. Shout out to Abila Santo and Eileen Itzel Mena who are in that space. Um, and so as a, as a creative studio cooperative for black artists to thrive throughout the diaspora, Zeal's focus is on providing artist development, okay. studio coast, uh, studio management, and um, also to provide uh, creative support and services to platforms, brands, you know, very boutique right now, very small in, in our startup phase. Uh, for those uh, brands, cultural institutions and platforms that are really invested in um, blackness, right? And putting that forward on their platforms uh, in the legacy of the Black Arts Movement um, of the 1960s or of Negritude when we talk about... Come on, Sanghold. Okay. Uh, just talk about James Baldwin and all these people. Right. I just think that um, that's what we're looking to do. That's, that's who we are. Uh, right now, we are a membership of like 10 right now as a cooperative. And I think it's important that we're a cooperative because we also want to be able to like 
build equitably. And I think among black people, if we're being honest, like I think, you know, in talking about racism and, and, and structural, structural racism and uh, anti-blackness, uh, we have to deal with the ways that we ourselves have been commodified, exploited and extracted and the legacy of how this country and this economic system has been built and globalized. So by building ourselves up as a cooperative in a lot of ways, it's part of our survival, but it's also part of our thriving economically mm -hmm. as artists and culture makers and, and, and creators. And so to share equitably in the revenue that we make is, is really powerful uh, so that the, the founders of Zeal are not the ones who are like cashing in and creaming at the top and then leaving our folks with <laughs> milk to nothing. Uh, so when I created Zill, I was like, nah, I really want a space where we can actually practice our values as much as possible. And we'll make mistakes along the way. But in this lifetime, I'm willing to try just because at the essence, I feel like of who I am, I'm, I'm a creative. Uh, when you said poetry, I'm like, yeah, I used to be on 13th and University doing slam poetry. And I did it all through college and was writing in high school. And I think those are the parts of me that perhaps folks who may know me know more of like, oh, oh there's in circles like, oh, I know Alan because of like philanthropy and movement, right. organizing it. But, you know, I was trained in piano. Shout out to my mom again. She put me through piano classes. Uh, I didn't think of you uh, as, I'm going to say the word okay. inappropriately. I didn't think of you as a pianist because I can't say it the other way um, without yeah. giggling. Okay, <laughs> so I didn't you think know. of you as a pianist person, but you are, are you classically trained? Uh, yeah, I haven't played in a while. I grabbed my uh, um, keyboard and I have a xylophone here too. And okay. so like, shout out to my mom. See, black women, my mom was very influential in my life, everybody. Xylophone, she was the one who taught me my first African, you know, Ghanaian drum pattern beats from the Akan people, okay. you know? Okay. And then that led to me, want, you know, so all of, all of that nurturing, I think, uh, kind of shepherded and molded my creative gifts. I I used to sketch a lot. I was like the person in art class that was like sketching the comic books. I'm a big like- An Allen of all trades. Right, Marvel comics. So yeah, so that was me, that was me, you know? So that okay. is me. And so I think, I really, I feel like the pandemic, if anything, thrust, thrusted like my own personal creative gifts and, and talents. And I just like created a, um, Instagram page for myself. Like I just did it for myself and started posting a lot of my, you know, con and conceptual. And you ideas. didn't and you didn't follow me. This is rude. Wait a minute. There's things <laughs> I'm finding out that like you're like, you didn't follow me or you didn't add me because I remember we were playing for this. I was like, I missed it. Cause sometimes in my head I think I responded to people and then I realized that I did it after they text me like, um, what happened? Because I emailed you. I'm like, my bad. You my ain't got to make fun of the way I talk because I did say, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> right. I can hear your voice. I was like, dad, I thought I responded to this. No. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, like the, the COVID definitely was like, you know what? Why not? What else am I doing? I don't need to be work, working on Mondays. What am I going to do? Right. You know, and I created a soundscape EP. I created a page. Nancy, the artist, is like my IG name on there. So, um, well, I, you know what? I know Anansi goes beyond the spider, but every time right. I see it, I just, I can't help it. Is that why you did it? What? Because of the spider? The whole because thing of the people. storytelling. Because yes. of the oratory tale. Yes, the oratory. You're a weirdo like I'm a weirdo. Okay, all right. <laughs> you know, the whole thing around like being a wisdom keeper and the story. Right, right. Like a grill. 
Okay. Story. So like all of that, all of that became like a part of like my performance art and the poetry. And then also like jazz. Also, I, I went to like, you know, jazz workshop in New York City for like uh, a good uh, two years. So yeah, these are all the things that like are behind the artwork. I'm just now getting into jazz because one of my partners um, is a jazz aficionado. So I'll allow it. Um, with my, with my, with my child's father, I was like, I'm not listening to this shit, but now with this new love, I'm like, I love it. What else you got for me? Um, can you tell us a little bit about Ad Astra Collective? Like when you founded the collective, what were some problems that you were trying to solve and what types of work do y'all do as a group? Because I see, I feel like there's a theme here. Like every time I speak to you, you're like, it's the collective, it's the collective. I'm like, and Alan, I'm always the one that's like, and the individuals, let me right. tell you about the individuals, in, in the, right? In the collective, right? <laughs> you see that with me that I'm like a we person. When you, when you start doing I, I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> so about me. <laughs> Which is it's kind of the reason it's funny because I had a mentor of mine who really uh, like was pushing me about like, what about you? Like, mm -hmm. what about your story? And it's so funny because like that bio, I had just rewritten my bio like maybe two months ago because she was like, when are people going to get to know you? When are people going to read? This like, is why all, I read the bios because I know right, a lot of work like goes on. All of them. you. And I was like, all right, let me work on my bio. to, And it just so happened, like I think maybe two months after it was like, oh, interview me for a podcast, cool, here's my bio. And I think, you know, I think about it now and I'm like, oh, Ad Astra Collective, right? So I started Zeal, Ad Astra Collective is actually a spinoff of Movement NetLab, right? So it's like, that's the connection. So myself and Rachel O'Leary Carmona, uh, also just the movement work was at the time a part of Amnesty International during Ferguson, mm -hmm. uh, as like two queer people of color, like, we're going to start a business together, right? We're going to start a consulting uh, cooperative of uh, folks who are like us, who are just tired of the nonprofit industrial complex. We're tired. <laughs> like, we're tired. I'm tired. I don't even have a nonprofit, but I run my shit like a nonprofit just right. so white people can understand it. Like, it's so weird. <laughs> and it's like, how do we create a culture of how we want to work and play together uh, to make transformative change happen in any community that we're working with. That's about movement building to make these changes happen. And how do we recognize how our networks of relationships are part of that? You know, it's like Grace Lee Bach talks about uh, with all the work that she did in Detroit around changing our economy and the way that we look at labor to just say like, how do we honor each other's labor and our time and do so in a way that feels right and equitable and revolutionary for where we're trying to go. And so Rancho and I, based on our learning from Movement NetLab and given that Movement NetLab was transitioning and the founder, Gongolin, you know, had started a family and everything else and people were just in their, uh, in their own life directions, we just decided like, hey, if we're gonna amicably split and there'll still be that website with all the information and all the stuff that we co-created together, we can still do the practice work. We can still work in community. We can still work with organizations. We can still work with individuals around their leadership uh, in networks, around how they mobilize resources and fundraise, right. which right. was like my whole my whole thing. And then it, and then it's also like, what are the political narratives that we're that we're telling about 
our movements in ways that are authentic, that kind of get you behind the scenes, that then also can lead to impact. So that's what that's what allowed us to say, you know what, let's 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 build upon the legacy of what we started with Movement Lab and then we'll build this out. And so really it's just like those workshops again have just been like workshops. Say workshops one more time, see what happens. Workshops. Workshops. Say it one more time. So I'm gonna figure we're gonna figure out another experience because soon we're not gonna do no more workshops. We're gonna be like, look, we're gonna do an art installation experience. <laughs> this is a shop of work. Right, a shop of work. Um, but yeah, so that's what that's what got us started on on. Um, what on about okay? Uh, and that was for Ad Astro. So what about this old money new system business you got going on, like? I feel like there's, again, a collective theme here. And when I ask you, like, about the the project Old Money, New System, do you see this practice being put into place in other parts of the country or even the world? Mm, that's another good question. So um, Old Money, New System is a, is a community of practice that was situated at Movement Net Lab that when we spun off from Movement Net Lab to create at Astra, I decided to, like, house there. And so we we built that community over four years ago again when i was just tired of philanthropy i was just tired right. of the ways that people had to hustle and bustle you know funders for money and grants and the way money was being moved just as far as like movement building was concerned and i was like oh what's a way that we can like and for another word like decolonize right how can what is that anti-colonial approach to how we would just like if we know that like people who are wealthy have their money high net worth donors mean people who have assets over a million dollars right have that money because like right slavery capitalism all those things like what does it look like to just be like you know what we need to redistribute that wealth and there's a way that that can happen where like we also are like self-determined in how that money gets moved and how we make decisions around it that doesn't treat us like people who don't have like we don't have our own assets and I think that's the thing that really pissed me off because there was always this undercurrent of like, oh, well, the community doesn't have, I'm like, nah, nah, people in Newark have, are, are assets. Like, they're, like, you know, it's like resource rich and coordination poor. It's like, no, our people mm. have to also be coordination rich and wealthy and how we move. And I think that's why there's always this default to the, like, the, the collective. Like, how can we practice being in better relationship together and knowing that yeah we're gonna have fuck ups at times and at the same time like if we're able to move if we, if 50 million dollars drops between you and i i want to make sure Didi and i are we still good <laughs> right <laughs> we're like, not gonna be good and i think it's just because of that collective you know it's a it's a nice thing to sit there and take the photo op and hold the check together but at the end of the day if we're not doing our individual work within that collective that's why i'm always bring it back to the individual because they got to be accountability both ways right um I, I, I think that there's a concern that i would have like I, I would be like how much do i trust alan you know what i'm saying how much can alan trust me like you know what i'm saying like and i i want to ask you a follow-up question to that in essence i I'm just gonna say, I have developed a lot of artisans of movement resource and, and that's okay. It's not a bad thing um, because banks pop up everywhere. Like there's TD Bank, there's Chase, there's 
there's Bank of America, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's tons of chocolate companies. Like, you know what I'm saying? I feel like a lot of people can do the same thing and still it tastes good or still it looks good or still serves its function. What advice would you give on a baseline level to black femmes and non-men that are doing resource distribution work but aren't doing it at the level that they could be doing it at. This question is for me mostly. I don't give a fuck about all these other people. Um, <laughs> back to the individual. <laughs> so what advice would you give or whatever? Because I feel like we all, like it does become a, as a collective, a crab in a barrel mentality. Even if we be like, I don't fuck with you or you don't fuck with me. Um, it becomes crabs in a barrel because we pull in from the same donor pool. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and at the end of the day, I'm trying to get, I'm, I'm trying to grow past that. I'm trying to have a network of like social justice channel. I don't understand why Ava DuVernay with all the time that she has to drag black, black women that work for Vogue magazine. I don't understand why she hasn't launched a social justice channel and put black femmes and non-men on and been like, here, develop your own show, develop your own show. I don't know why Oprah hasn't done that. I don't know why all these people with class privilege don't do that. But what would you say to someone who's ca cash poor, who's doing this work? I mean, I'm very fancy. I'm very good at it, but I'm just, I haven't reached a level that I want to yet. Cause I've been doing a lot of character development. I've been doing a lot of pouring into other people. And I kind of want to pour into myself in, in 2020 for the last three months of 2020. I want to pour into my fucking self. Mm. Maybe that's the place that I'll start from. Like, okay. And I'm asking this, I mean, it's like for myself and everyone else listening, like, what does it look like? What does it look like for you to pour into yourself when so much of the time is like pouring into other people in, in absence of yourself? So what? How, what does it look like? You said, how do you, how do we include the I and the we, the I and the we are not separate, but how do you always keep in mind? It's like putting your gas mask on first, how they tell you before you put it on somebody else. Like, well, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but I spoke with Adrian Murray Brown, like, I don't know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. I keep that. Okay. Yeah. I said there's four tenets of accountability because no one's ever going to be able to define accountability as the same. Even if you get 20 motherfuckers who are all woke and read the same well, Leah Kashimi well, book or whatever, like, you know what I'm saying? We're not going to still agree what accountability means because we all have our problematic faves. But there's four tenets to accountability that I feel like people don't really talk about. Yeah. The collective is responsible for itself and the collective is responsible for the individual. The individual is responsible to themselves, but they also responsible to the collective. Any upset in any one of those four tenets, there's absence of accountability i don't care what nobody say and that's why i'd be talking about the individual because y'all niggas always be talking about the collective i'd be like no there's something else missing here but yeah how do you how do you pour into yourself when you're also already pouring into the community i can't tell you how many times you know shivana uh gaylor who is a licensed marriage and family therapist i had to think of the acronym real quick lmft um had was just in therapist magazine and was saying that like, I gotta go to my job as a therapist, but then I also gotta come home or while I'm at work, get the call from my children who are experiencing COVID the same way I am, or my partner or this family member, or, and I can't, I don't have space to process it because I'm processing for my clients or I'm, you know, how do you pour into yourself? Whew. I mean, this is not an easy, this is not an easy question. You know, it's, I, 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 I think people wanna look for a simple answer, but I, feel like in our black bodies especially for the groups of people that you're naming like i can't i think in the same way that i that i think about my mom nurturing me and i was just telling my sister this sometimes i look at my mom like 
wait a minute, I'm taking care of my dad right now. It's just me and my sister. But at that time when I was growing up, it was, she was taking care of her grandparents, us, and my dad. Right. And there was all kinds of conflictual stuff going on in the family. Like, and sometimes I wonder like how much stress is placed especially for black women and also gender non-conforming folks like with or, or trans folks bodies and just their existence like how much of the work that, we, that folks have to do to just try to shift their reaction to the conditions of the world from that place so i don't want to just answer that question like oh you just do one plus two equals three and like you yeah, need to do a workshop that's what you need to do you need to do a workshop a shop of work have the white people pay for it and just give it to us for free. Send us a link for those of us who can't be there because we don't like each other or whatever. Just just tell us what you know so we can go and move this work in, on our lower levels. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, I think first, I think the first thing when I, when I think about like moving resources, like out, if we could say outside of money, like mind you, because our bodies were commodified. And the only reason they came up with accounting and finance was that it was like, oh, your body is more uh, valuable and, and will appreciate in time because we made some assumptions about your aesthetics, how you look and how much cotton you can pick and your productivity in your body. And it's depreciating in value. Oh, well, you may be sick or you may have ailments that impede you from right. your productivity. So if we know that this is the root of how they have figured out how to make money off of people, <laughs> you know, around productivity of all things, not about your sufficiency or your worthiness or your just innate goodness as a human being, just off of like straight off productivity. I think the first thing to put on the table is the, the first thing is like, what are my gifts and my talents? Meaning like, what am I innately just like good at that when I wake up in the morning, it puts a smile on my face to do. And to be honest, that's the other thing around this pandemic, around why I returned to like the creativity of like playing the xylophone, working with vocals and writing, because I realized like at the end of the day, that shit puts a smile on my face and makes me happy. Right. And so I feel like a lot of times we say, well, we can't do that because I got to make money all these other ways and do all these things in order to survive. And if I even give myself an hour of my day to tend to my gifts, my my ancestral giving gifts and talents and like i'm gonna fuck everything else up with right. my life like you know and i'm playing with my life if i do that and i'm like maybe this is an opportunity to open up the possibility of maybe just maybe if we poured into our own gifts and talents and be accountable to them how can we then show up for others okay you know and so and again, not a silver bullet, but it's just like one question I'm literally asking myself. And I also want to be cognizant, like, again, based on one's social location and identity, it may be diff more difficult or challenging to be able to come up with an answer. And it doesn't mean that you're less worthy of deserving of exploration for that. And I think the question then becomes, how can we support those who then don't have the space or don't believe they have the space. And I don't think that that's an easy question, you know, uh, that uh, to just respond to, you know, I'm I'm grappling with it right now as, as I've started a, a black artist cooperative. And it's like- You were like, do I deserve to even be here? <laughs> 
you know, like, oh, what, what, like, you go through all the things, like, what do I think I'm doing, you know, so, but again, being a community, I think, supports that to your four tenants, you know what I mean, so, uh, that's, that's the first thing that I think comes to mind, and perhaps the other thing is, on the other side of it, though, I also think it's those of us who stand in, you know, the Rubik's Cube of privilege, of privileges, especially for those of us who should be fully aware of how we are positioned to say if we approximate ourselves to financial wealth we know how people are going to respond and i know for myself i pretend i don't pretend not to know how white folks are going to respond to me in a particular way it doesn't mean that also it's not my role to check them on it because the other thing that should be happening is create uh conditions should be shifted so that if there is a black woman or gender not conforming who is doing this work in philanthropy, people need to know that we all are philanthropists. Because if we're talking about the love of humanity, philanthropists is not only just for people who are high net, who have high net worth. If that's the case, we might as well just throw all the chips away, right. you know? Because ideally, it should get to the point where we're just all exchanging and sharing resources with each other. But it also we have to remove the belief that the only people who are worthy of giving to are those who have a certain stat status and caste in society. Otherwise, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. I'm grappling, I'm grappling that with that, given my own social location, but I've just recognized those moments where I've heard, like, and it's, it's happened on both ends where it's like, oh, you're really articulate and blah, blah, blah. And then I hear after the meeting, oh, well, we didn't go with this firm because the black people over there didn't dress right or do this. And I'm like, mm, but little do you know, I'm actually working with that firm and we partnered. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like the money that you thought you give it's actually going to both of us. So, you know, it's right. those things that I'm like, oh, like this is all of the subverted subversion techniques that you gotta do in the systems in order to make sure that people are good while you're good too. You know, and I think, yeah, it's it's tough. It feels like sometimes there is that heavy like world on your shoulders. And I think it's during those moments where I have to come back to myself and realize to your point, like Yo, I gotta focus on me at the end. Of right. Like I, I launched. Um, I launched into the end of 2017. I got kicked out of. Um, I did a lot of education for a, a, a white woman's group. I won't even name them because it's not even worth it. I did a lot of education. I got paid handsomely or prettily for it, whatever. Right. And um, uh, they. I did something that they didn't like. I told a white woman to shut up because she was speaking to me, and I said, "Shut the fuck up." And they was like, "Don't talk to my white woman like that." And I was like, I really want her to shut the fuck up though. And uh, they kicked me out the group. So I started my own group and it was a white labor collective. I struggled with it. I struggled, I struggled with it because it's like, you know, I'm thinking about the word labor. I'm thinking about the word that like how it means to me as an individual, what it means to my people as a collective, right? And it's just this year <laughs> during COVID, I started pouring into myself and like, how do I actually use white people's labor who may not have money, but they have the time because we all sitting in a time, like, you know what I'm saying? And so it's been a very interesting development. I'm sitting here talking with business developers, like, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, they developing my business. I'm like, I have a GED. <laughs> like, you know, it's 
saying? Like, you know, and I really like what you said about you got to take away the stigma of like, oh, this person isn't deserving or only these people with degrees or the upper echelon conversation. I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm a philanthropist. I literally put money in other people's pockets because I feel like their dignity is their inherent self-worth. Like, point blank period. So I really appreciate that framing. Um, I'm going to send you an email. I hope you don't take three months to answer it or whatever, because I would love to sit down. <laughs> You're like, never that. Don't play me like that on the syndicated <laughs> television programming. Didi Delgado. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I ain't going to do you like that. No, no. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you um, one, two more questions. Um, I feel like being that you're involved in so many organizations and initiatives, you've got Zeal, you've got Ad Astra, you've got uh, the former the former work of move, Movement Network Labs, Network Movement Labs, whatever it was called. That's how I met you. That's how I met you. <laughs> and you was working with Resource Generation. I was like, let Alan do one more photo op of his workshops. I'm literally going to flip my iPhone in the air. Um, but you got old money, new system, you know, you're working on all the things and, and now you're working on your art. What would you say is a common thread? Throughout all, all of it. I mean, you don't say community. How, how, <laughs> well, see, what would you want me to say? So no, I'll tell you, I will, I will, <laughs> I will not say community, but I'll say, I'll say something else. Okay. Um, <laughs> the common thread throughout all of the work. I would say is around, I'll say another word. A lot of it is just around economy, management of one's home. And I'm gonna shout out my dad because he's upstairs. I think one of the, I think if anything, the person, the teacher of economy for me is my dad. Uh, because he was a, he's a person who really uh, kind of instilled this concept of like, what does it mean to save? What does it mean to like, um, be a caregiver. Like when I go back to Ghana, he's like the community grandpa. All the kids run up to him like, ah! and like he has the toys for them and things like that. And mm -hmm. I didn't even realize it when I was like watching him. But I feel I feel like I reflect him in a lot of ways around that because it's like, oh, I want to make sure like when I have things that I'm enjoying that I'm able to share it with other people. Um, and I try to do that as best as I can. But I think that's that's one of the things that's like the through line through all the work. I think even my my artwork as it's evolving, a lot of it is around like economy. It is around like, how am I managing my multiple homes of belonging and my life with my family and my relationships with friends and my movement way and all these different circles of my life. Like, how does that get reflected in a way that I want to communicate vocally through recordings, through visuals and, and that carry a lineage of my people in that kind of way, right? And so like, there's that part of it. Um, you know, in my work in philanthropy, really, I'm just saying like, yo, everybody's a philanthropist, fuck that. Like, I don't, I don't subscribe to this piece that like, oh, because you're at this foundation and you're with the Carnegie's and you have this legacy with this family and this right. Family. No, like all of us can move in resources to support each other. And if that is your calling and your in your mission in life and your credo, that you deserve the support in the community to do that, which is why I created the old money new system platform with like a community of several other people that just said, like, okay, how do you practice philanthropy as an act of solidarity? Not as like, 
I am doing this for charity because I have. Yeah, I hate that. that. Like my mother hated charity. <laughs> you know, and you know, I think part of it, part of my other work through at Astra is just like I think in many ways also like I, I didn't realize it until like I rewinded the tape on my life, and I think in many ways, you know, there is this innate kind of like coach, advisor, and also learner. I'm just somebody who like I'll just pick up books to read. I'm that person, or like I'll listen in on someone else's like show or tape or something that go and then i'll sit and really like digest the information and be like how can i apply this in my life and right. then how can i and then if so, and then how can i support others in my in my circles too around it and i think that became like uh, you know the kind of teacher learner stance i feel like i've always had that as a kid growing up too it's just like i was the one who always wanted to explore things and read things and then like be the one in the corner to like think about like oh how does that work in real life like I don't know how this works in real life, you know, um, right. and then try it on. I would just experiment. I think I'm an experimentation guy. So I think that's the common thread that you'll see is like economy, like taking care of home, multiple homes of belonging and feeling like there's a place for me to belong. You know, where there is a space where y'all say I don't belong here. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to create a, a home where like I can belong with my folks. And that, that's cool. Like, that's fine. But if you think you're better than me for doing that, like, sucks on you, you know? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, maybe that's the through line. Thank you for for the framing, because I hadn't even considered that. But this is a getting to know you session. So we here, we here. Um, my last question is, well, my second to last question is, can you teach me how to write a bio for myself that relinquishes any kind of connectivity to Black Lives Matter, the global network? Can you, can you teach me to just remove the fact that I was there also? Is it, is it possible? We don't have to get into conversations you don't want to, but can you teach me how to build a portfolio for myself that my work is separate from something you'd spoken about earlier where a lot often at times people are thrust into national spotlight and forget to be Robbie, Bonnie, Ricky, and Mike or whatever, and just like bring everybody along, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, you have a solo career like Rob Tresvan, and then after a while it fizzles out just because you're not the only nigga who know how to sing falsetto. I mean, so anyways, is can you can you? That's a really good metaphor. <laughs> I was mad. I was like, wow, you really went through the whole storyline of New Edition and like. Oh, it actually plays out. Like, these... no, I'm born and raised in Roxbury. Don't worry right, right. it. Okay? Look, like, look, exactly. Shout out. Shout out to Roxbury in Boston. You know what? There's something that, again, the same mentor of mine, like, uh, who said this to me, and then another one of, of my, my brethren, uh, Lawrence, we were having this conversation too. But what Lawrence? Not, you know what? You're talking about, like, Lawrence Berenger? Yes. I have another friend named Lawrence, but it's not it's that not Lawrence. But I'm cool with that Lawrence. That Lawrence is my people's too. That's my <laughs> homie. Um, both Lawrence's are my homie. There's a connection okay. there too. But um, okay. what I was going to say to you is like one of the things I've learned is uh, it's so funny going back to the writing of the Bible. You know what I was doing, Didi? I would shield my accomplishments. I would start shielding my accomplishments away. The like because I never viewed them as accomplishments. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? When I was in Charlottesville, it ain't happened this way, so I'm deleting that. It ain't happened the way I wanted it to happen, so I'm deleting that. Oh, that that contract that I went on, oh, I, I meet this goal, so I'm deleting that. 
and right. oh this thing over here oh be like well we didn't we didn't create the black socialist da, 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 and we ain't do so i'm deleting that and again got the same kind of calling like what if what if you just own the fact that like yeah you supported the fundraising for the rise of Ferguson. like what if you just own that story and not shy from the fact that that's you. Someone, someone else who reads. I feel personally that, attacked right now. Okay, right, and, 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 and I'm saying it because this is what was told to I me. I know. Like, I want to hear this. You know, and it's like, oh, and I didn't even really think about it that way. But then, you know, the, you know, they were just like, what? Is, what happens when you erase yourself from your own narrative and you don't even realize it? All because you have it fixated on how you wanted it to turn out and. All of it is rooted in your disappointments right. around the relationships with the people that you wanted to have relationships with, but now you're out of relationship with them. So I was like, wow, I got to go and sit with that. You know what I mean? And it really did transform my ability to be able to just be like, you know what? Yeah, things may not have turned out the way I wanted to with the national network, but you know what? I still need to stand in integrity to the fact that I did contribute a very uh, crucial role had it not been for like Darnell Moore like tagging me one day and being like, hey, fam, can you help me like do this with Monica? And, and I didn't even go on the ride that day, but I now will never forget when I when people came back from the ride, I had so many Facebook ads. Right. People right. who didn't even meet me. Right. Who were just like, I heard about you da, 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 from all over. Like right. I even remember with... um. Donation, all these people, and I'm like, mm -hmm. Yo, these are people who I've never met. Right, right. And right. what is, I remember I was shook. I was like, nah, fans, I gotta close my face. Let's go. Let's go. You're like, we hate it here. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, Dad, this is really crazy. Like, word, like, this is what's happening. And I remember before, yo, movement, and I was like, wow, like, okay, things are shifting, you know? So I say that to say that, like, I really had to do some of my, my own work of owning my own story and recognizing that no one else was going to tell my own story but me. Ooh, I got to watch this back. Talene, I know you're watching. Do me a favor. <laughs> take, take, take. It's one minute and starting at eight. One minute, uh, sorry, an hour, eight minutes. Do me a favor. Send that clip to me, please. Yeah. Say that one more time. I have to take... <laughs> You know, no one else is going to tell your story but you, you know, and the first place to start that with. I mean, she said it in a kind way, you know, my friend, Kelly, she was like, you know, I see the bio, but this is not the Alan I know. And I was like, oh, she's going to do that to me. She's going to do that to me. Like, she's going to, that's not the Alan. I feel like the world needs, deserves to know the Alan I know. The all of Alan, not just like, and I, and I really was like, oh, perhaps this is my version of like playing small. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to do too much because then somebody going to say something versus it's like, well, no, I don't give a fuck. This is who I am. Take it or leave it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, What's your astrological sign? <laughs> uh, I'm a Gemini. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, hold up that face. <laughs> it's awkward now. <laughs> so anyways, moving on. She's like, we're going to skip. Dang, that's, that's what's going to happen with the Geminis. It doesn't matter if I'm a May or June Gemini, right? It's just no, like, it doesn't matter. Y'all are all trash on the inside. And I really hope right. that you have done the individual work for your community, 
right? And that you try to absolve yourself, but also hold them collective Geminis accountable for the fuck shit that they be on, is all I'm saying. If you got Gemini in your chart anywhere, in your air sign, your rising sign, your moon, your lightning, your thunder, I, I don't want it nowhere near me, is all I'm saying. But Alan, I'm going to send you an email. Okay. We're going we're gonna to do the things. I'm actually going to tell my team right now, get that email started so that way we can get on each other's schedules. Um, the last question I have to ask you, I can't believe it's time, but it's time because yeah. I got to fix my hair for tomorrow. I'm not particularly going anywhere, but I've got to fix my hair for tomorrow. Yeah, well, so. that's key. So all of this is part of the self-care time. Uh, Billy, I was like, look, I'm going to do my, I got to work out. I haven't gone to the gym or ran or I'm just going to do that mm-hmm. where they close. So no, this is good. This is good. This is, this is fire. Thank you. The last question I ask is a question I ask everybody. This yeah. is episode number 69. Um, I really want to ask you, um, what are some questions? It's a two-pronged question. What are some questions you would have wished I would have asked? Or are, is there anything you're surprised I did not ask you about because you know I'm the queen of petty, right? And <laughs> then the second, the second question is, who would you like to see on the show if you watch the show? Ha, huh. so I was so funny. I was like, cause I've been like fixated on your Brianna shirt. You yeah. know, it's so, so question, like, I think a question, it's funny. Cause I, I, I think about, um, so funny, like so much of the show has been like, also like me having, like having a conversation with myself, also with you, also with a large group of people about black women. And I think a question, and maybe it's not like a question just for me, but maybe it's for you in the audience, but maybe it's like something around like how, you know, I think at this time, like what are the ways that we can uplift, revere, and I think the word that I want to use because it's economy, invest. Like what are the ways that we can platform and invest? And like a person, uh, I'm forgetting her name, but like my cousin worked with her on a lot of like like a lot of social impact and uh, impact investing. Uh, Arlen, I'm forgetting her last name, but there's like a lot of stuff around invest. Like I, I would love to see a segment where like there are women who are investing in other women and other men who are investing in black women. And they're not only just like, oh, I got this small business endeavor, but like just to hear the ways that people are investing in their care, their support, uh, even if it's gender non-conforming folks and trans folks. And maybe that leads to my second question around like maybe show topics or people to, to host on the show. Like folks who I've seen like on social media who like I've been curious about, um, who are in my network are folks like uh, uh, Ariel Newton, who went on the ride to Ferguson. And I remember when she was starting the Black Millennials you know, she had a podcast in her blog and then I saw her, uh, you know, join up uh, with Hari Zaid and in, in, in the race baiter. Race baiter, right. You know, I've just been watching, you know, their just uh, trajectory in life and like now she has a, a baby and it's just like, oh, like I remember <laughs> when we were like in chapter meetings together and now just to, to, to see uh, Ariel's evolution, like that's somebody that comes up to mind. It's like, how do we like, again, examples of like, they're building alternatives and how do we like invest? So maybe there's this, there's this thing around investment um, or folks like, uh, I've called my twin, like, 
Nikisha Lewis, who also is a local Bostonite, but also has been like in philanthropy and like the folks who have put together like um, um, uh, all the work in investing in black women, supporting black women. Uh, I also uh, think it would be dope to see um, Elle and folks like Aaron Lang and others you know, I think Ella about, has been on the show. I'm gonna oh, ask see, Aaron I though. See, I need to see that. See, yes, I we'll we'll make sure uh, Talene or Billy send you the clip from right, uh, I'm gonna, Elle's I'm show. Gonna, I'm gonna check it that. was beautiful. It was beautiful. Two bad bitches together. It oh, was beautiful. Yeah, I'm sure. One, one of my one of my lovers had to experience a conversation with me and Elle for two and a half hours while I drove from Albany to Boston, and they got an earful. But it was. Oh, yeah. I, I have nothing but love for Elle. Um, and I want to um, put an addendum to that. I think that that is, a, that is a good question. How do we show, how do we have a lar larger conversation about showing up uh, for Black women and non-men and gender non-conforming folks, right? How do we, and I feel like, you know, you talked about not having a silver bullet answer, but I do like listening, listening without reproach or reprieve or, like the, you know, listen through the uncomfortableness of not understanding the intersection, like listen, like, you know, and listen to understand, listen to absorb, listen to, to eradicate the harm. The, you know, we talk about harm reduction a lot, but yeah. a lot of harm reduction in, in our community starts from listening. Right. And, you know, cause everyone got their narrative. And I, I think I had said that in a live the other day. I was like, at the end of the day, I was going to write some sappy RH sin kind of like, you know, let people have their narratives of you because it's the only thing that the only access they can have, you know, like now, no, fuck that. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Tell your story and talk your shit. That's how I feel about it. Yes. And right. Let people say whatever they're going to want to say about you. But also I, I, I hear some of the suggestions you made and I'm like, I welcome those suggestions. I will reach out to some folks that you've mentioned and also we have all our points of tension. So that's also how we hold each other, other. right? How yeah. do we hold each other yeah. through the points of tension? Because a lot of times there's a point of tension and be like, I don't, I don't fuck with that person. And it's not that you don't fuck with that person. It's like, I don't want to hear what they have to say. Same at all. You know what I'm saying? And so we just got to listen to one another. Like, you know what I'm saying? And it goes both ways. I remember, you know, me and Ariel are going to have this conversation, but I remember well, Ariel just reached out to me too, coincidentally. So we are, I'm going to circle back to that conversation. Yeah. It's so funny, but they they were like, can you do me a favor? Can you support this initiative? And I was like, not even a year ago, Sib. You told me I organized with white people too much for you. And I'm like, but I'll be giving you my white people. So I, I don't understand. Uh, you know, so like we're going to all have a conversation one day and we're all going to get to the point one where we grow up within ourselves. Right. And where we have this tempered balance that white people have with each other. Like white people can be vicious, but when they have to work together for the common good of something of whiteness, oh, to, <laughs> when they got to work, when they got to work together for the common goodness of white supremacy to continue on, they will work together. You have seen Trump shut the fuck up about a lot of shit in order to work with people he don't give a fuck about just so he can get what he needs to get done. Did you see the executive order he just sent out? Um, not even like two two weeks ago about you can't have diversity and inclusion. Training. Oh, I did peep that. I did peep that. Yo, you know my whole shit is on 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 red right now. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, eh, okay, all right, Trumpy. But you know, um, back. I mean, to tie back to your question, you know, the other thing I was thinking about because I, I again, I keep looking at your Breonna Taylor T-shirt. I can't help but also to think about since 
you that other question on black men came up in connection to investment. Like, also, I think what troubles me is um, this piece around the narrative around her boyfriend. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think even with the pictures that came out where it's like they gun tote and like it's like Bonnie and Clyde out here. And I'm just like, when we talk about protecting black women, also like sis was sleep in the night. So we can't even protect her narrative that these are facts. Yeah, right. That this is and had it been any of us, had it been any of us who were in our homes where there's unannounced and somebody shooting through and like, you know, I have family members who are now like, oh, I have a gun. Cause, you know, and I think we don't understand that, again, bringing up Janisha, like, we don't understand how state violence, the conditions of the state, is how we then end up having to be like, well, you ain't going to murk me out here. Right. You know, what do you expect? Like, what do you expect? And, and also the same as with Corinne Gaines. You know, a lot of people's like, she shouldn't have had a gun. She shouldn't have been talking to cops like that. She should just let them do what they had to do. I'm like, here they have been harassing this woman for months. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, what was she supposed to do? Yeah, yeah. And so Even think- in death, even in death, yeah, even like in death, after, Black after women after can't death. get reprieve. Yeah, after death, like even still being criminalized, right? So uh, I thought about that, th- thought about that too, because it's just like, even then, I think for for black men, there's also this narrative of like the carceral state also in incarceration, but since the slave ships, right? So, like, right. so I just think that like, there's a point of reflection to just be like, yeah, we're all catching it. And at the same time, like we do have to have a serious conversation as you're saying about the level of investment and then also like what are the levels of protection, security and safety that we get to create and invest in. And I think maybe that's even clarifying like my point around like, what does it look to center black women around that as we think about our own safety and 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 self-determination uh, in our community? So I really appreciate you offering the follow-up question to whoever the person who, who asked to do Facebook, because uh, I think that, that was T. Uh, Cherie. I got to shout uh, out my sis, T, because yeah. they just graduated with an MSW from Boston University, which is one of the most racist institutions uh, on this side of the Northeast. And so I got to shout out that Black woman because she did her thing and she's a great mom. She's a good friend. Just thank you for the question. So it wasn't me, but I just amplified it. Yeah, so... Um... Yeah, so I, I I do think that's a worthy extended conversation to have that maybe is a part of another um, podcast and how and how all of us as Black people and I think in particular uh, the role that we all play from our different social locations to be able right. to really build a community of care. You know what I mean? And because we at the same time we we still are here. So it means with we, caring for oneself as well as caring for each other. It has to be together. Okay, with with the individual self. Yes, yes. <laughs> she's like, we have to. She's like, my sticking point is the individuals. I just want to make sure that we, the individuals, <laughs> we have to take responsibility. <laughs> it's me. It's Look. me, Alan. <laughs> this has been the one of the more amazing interviews. You, y'all, I'm so through with the full set. We're actually going on hiatus. We have what one more you? episode coming up. Me and Nandi K, episode number 70, gang, 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 gang. 
Um, right. It's actually episode number 75 because we've done so many things in between that. We've done slams, we've done all the things. Um, but I just want to say thank you for, I feel like I've gone on a spiritual journey. I feel like our ancestors was, wanted us to have this conversation. It was yes. communicating with each other. That's what No, it was. seriously, my table right over here. Don't play games with me. Um, so, <laughs> I'm right over there. <laughs> and my shout out to all my mom's side and my dad's side and the ancestors that came before them a million times over, okay? And so I just want to say thank you because this has been really grounding for me, which was one of the questions I had, but I feel like I, I answered it in the ways that not only did you and I communicate with each other, but I hopefully feel like we built one another yes. and modeled this sort of behavior, right? Um, I don't want to even say behavior because that makes me feel awkward. Model this sort of tenant of like accountability, like how we can hold ourselves as individuals and hold each other in community. So thank you very much, Alan. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. I had a blast. This is dope. Now, because of it, I am going to look at the previous episodes. And the next time that there is a poetry slam session, count me in. I got my book. I'm okay. All right, we're gonna do one in December because, um, like I said, Nandi K is the last guest of this year. We're gonna do a Halloween karaoke. Uh, you get it? You get you see what I did there with Nandi K? (laughs) (laughs) So it's gonna be dope. I'm dressing up as Ursula, I'm not gonna tell you Nandi's outfit, and um, it's gonna be a lituation. So we're, we're you know, I'm ready. I heard my mama cry. I heard a pray the night Chicago die. I'm ready. Like, you know, <laughs> so, this has been another wonderful episode of the full set. I hope that y'all have an amazing night. Alan, thank you for being my guest. You've been amazing. You've been wonderful. Thank y'all for all tuning in.